There is no blessing like the blessing of having access to the throne of grace in heaven, being able to gather as a congregation in God's holy presence. Praise the Lord. Welcome, brothers and sisters, members, visitors. Special greeting to those who are live streaming the service. May God be with you on this Lord's Day. Let's come into his presence with singing 122A, and we'll sing all the stanzas of 122A. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. 
as we come into his presence to worship. Brothers and sisters, we need his blessing. Let's seek that blessing in a moment of silent prayer. After that, we'll sing, hear our prayer, O Lord. Let's pray together. Congregation of the Lord Jesus, in whose name is your help? Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Lift up your hearts to our God in heaven and receive his greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's sing together 100B. 100B, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth.
Know that the Lord, he is God. He made us, he made us, saved us for himself. And we read of that in the Ten Commandments where our Lord says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's fulfilled in Christ, through Christ. I saved you from your sin, from bondage to Satan, and I set you free to live for me. And here's how I want you to live for me. You shall have no other gods before me. I am God, he says, and there's no other savior. Why would you give your life to that which can't save you. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Our Lord Jesus says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. These are out of place, but rather let there be thanksgiving for you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God you are once you were darkness but now you are light in the Lord so walk as children of the light God has saved us for such a high and holy calling congregation and we have not lived up to that calling if we're honest with ourselves, but have fallen short of the glory of God in many ways by not loving him as we should, not loving our neighbor as we should. And we need the cross of Jesus Christ. We need forgiveness. Do you confess that today? Do you see your sin? 
Do you see your need for the Savior once again? And do you trust in his promise that all your sins are forgiven? Because Christ died for them. Your sins were nailed to Christ on the tree. Over trust in Jesus confesses your sin, you may be sure they're gone. Listen to these words from 1 Peter 2. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That means they're gone. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. Let's sing together of the power of the cross and the sheets handed out to you, oh, to see the dawn of the (coughs) darkest day. Christ on the road to Calvary.
amazing grace. You can come to the Lord through Jesus Christ and he'll accept even me, even you. Let's come to him by faith now in prayer. Do you want to bring greetings to you from Nairobi, from Mayambi and Yvonne? They thank you for your prayers and support. Lord willing, this afternoon we'll have the, we'll witness the baptism of Naomi Westerhoff. May the Lord be glorified, our faith strengthened as we witness the Holy Sacrament. And we give praise that God gave to Ipka and Helen Posthumous on Friday morning a healthy baby boy, Jonah Ipka. They're doing well. We thank the Lord for his wonderful blessing. Let's pray. We stand forgiven at the cross. Our sins accuse us continually. Our consciences, they go after us and tell us we have done wrong. That's your gift. To drive us to the refuge you've provided in your son. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord has provided a way out of the death that we deserve so that we can be untied from death. Christ nailed there in our place with our sin on his shoulders, taking the blame as if it were his very own, making it his own taking the shame and making that his very own, taking the punishment, making that his own. And we, by faith in your son, Lord God, are forgiven all our sins, have a place to put our shame. Punishment is gone. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a name for the Son of God who came ruined sinners to reclaim. Thank you for your wonderful grace in our lives that allows us access to your holy presence on this Lord's day. We may dare even confess our sins because you're a holy God and also a forgiving God through Christ your Son. So we confess, Lord, that we have not honored you, nor have we honored one another as we should. We have so often sought after ourselves and worried that if we honored you and honored others, that we would lose in the process. What a lie, but we fall prey to that lie many times a day. We know, Lord, that when we give ourselves over to you, to our neighbor in love, that we gain. That the way down is the way up. Father, we thank you for showing that to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, 
despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. And there you are now, right now, Lord Jesus, as our mediator and savior. Today, Father, we pray for your work in our lives. We want to grow in godliness. We pray that you will so nourish us on the words of faith and in the sound teaching of Christ, that the seed of Christ will be watered, it will be given growth, and we may bear much fruit. Lord, we want to look more like you. Thank you for giving us a place in the household of God, which is the pillar and buttress of the truth, the place where the gospel has been deposited. The hope of eternal life lives in the midst of your church. Lord, we thank you for this great and wonderful privilege. Lord, help us to behave that way as your people. We pray, Lord, for those who have special needs at this time. We pray for the family of Fred Willinga. We praise you for the care our brother Fred received during his time of sickness and now that you've set him free from his affliction and taken him to the joy and glory of heaven. We pray for his family as they remember their dad and they plan his funeral. Give them faith and hope through the gospel and the special gift of peace. We pray for your continued blessing on Hans van Berkel as he receives his next chemo treatment this Tuesday. Lord willing, please go with him. Give him strength and help his body fight this sickness. May he and Sue be blessed with a deep confidence and joy in Christ as you walk with them through this trial. Continue to bless those who are confined to their homes. We pray especially for our sister Kay Oatman, who has not been feeling well this past week. We pray that you will go with her and strengthen her. Bless her and keep her, Lord, in your powerful care. May she also experience the joy of the Lord. We pray for Hank and Mark's daughter, Diane. She faces a battle against cancer. Please give her strength to fight this in faith. She may trust in Jesus Christ and find peace and rest in him. Give her healing, Lord, from her sickness. We thank you that you've blessed Ipka and Helen with the gift of a baby boy this Friday. We praise you for Jonah, fearfully and wonderfully made, and pray that you will be at work in his young life. May his parents be given the strength and faith to care for him in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless those who are expecting children. We pray that you would uphold them and give strength to the moms and, and healthy development to the little ones. Lord, we also pray that you'll be near to those who are not able, Lord, to conceive and, and bear a child. We ask for your special nearness in their lives and peace and patience as they wait on the Lord for your gifts to be given to them. For, Father, you are good and gracious even in the midst of of our trials and sorrows. We pray that you will continue to be near to Mayamba and Yvonne. We ask that you would uphold them and give them patience as they wait on the Lord. Lord, we ask that you will give them uh, an opportunity to be able to come to Canada soon and continue to bless them as they serve in the congregation there in Nairobi. We pray for Slava as well. It's from day to day, he serves the Lord in his congregation in Poltava. We ask that you'll be near to him and Olena and Polena, and we ask that in due time you would be willing to unite them as a family. Father, protect them. We think of the hurting people in Israel and among the Palestinians. 
as they face the pain and horror of terrorism and war and death, give wisdom to the leaders to do only what is necessary to defend their people. We pray for a day when the two peoples can live peacefully side by side. It seems impossible. It is impossible for man, but all things are possible with God. We pray that even though the church is very small there, you will give the church among the Jews and the Arabs a special role in demonstrating the possibility and power of living together in peace as they do in their congregations, all through Christ who himself is our peace. Be near to our brothers and sisters on both sides of the conflict and do an amazing thing among them of building your church among Israelis and Palestinians. Father, work your good plan and pleasure in that war-torn part of the world. We pray for our young people as they sing at Sprucedale today. We thank you that after a long time that that may start up once again. May they be a blessing there. We pray for a blessing upon our Sunday school teachers and classes. We ask, Lord, that as we study your word, we may grow in our faith. We pray for a blessing upon the teen club and young people in their Bible studies and also for our catechism classes and Bible studies in the coming week. Lord, as we spend time in your word, may we meet the Lord Jesus Christ himself. May we be molded and shaped after his image. May our faith in him grow and our hope and our love. Now we wait upon you to work in our hearts through the means of grace, the preaching of the Holy Gospel. As we return to 1 Timothy 5, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to your truth and plant it deep in us and shape and fashion us according to your likeness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's honor the Lord with our gifts today. The first collection is for the general fund and second one for the uh, work of mission, and particularly Nancy Horo in South Asia.
just a small request that you take your song sheets back with you this afternoon. Let's sing Have Thine Own Way, Lord, 533. 533, the four stanzas. Let's stand to sing. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only always living in me. That's godliness. Christ only always living in me. And that's Paul's concern as he writes Timothy. Godliness personally and in our relations with the congregation. And we continue that as we read 1 Timothy 5. We'll start the last verse of chapter 4, verse 16. And then read through the end of chapter 5, 
5, verse 25. That's found on page 1179 in your pew Bibles. 1 Timothy 4, verse 16 through 5, verse 25, page 1179. May our prayer be, even as we read this together, that the Lord Jesus would be at work. Christ only, always living in me. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled, if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works, If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Now our text, verses 17 through 25. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin... Rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, 
Conspicuous means visible. You can see them clearly. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. This is God's word. May he bless us by it and build us up in faith and godliness. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus, here we have an assortment of topics like honoring elders, feeding oxen, drinking a little wine for your stomach and for your ailments, whether sins and good works go ahead of you or come behind you. It seems a bit of a hodgepodge of topics. But it really follows one main theme, how to give proper care to the shepherds of the church. It's the fourth part of a five-part shepherdology or study of shepherding, of pastoral care, starting with the pastor's self-care in chapter 4. Watch yourself and your doctrine closely. And then the care of men and women of all ages, how to exhort and rebuke them. And then the care of widows, those who are truly widows, and also how to commit some of them, the older ones, to special service in the church, the care of widows, honoring widows is what it's about. And then we come to the fourth part of shepherdology, honoring pastors and elders, or elders who rule and especially elders who teach and preach. And then chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, instructing bondservants or servants in their relationship with their masters. So we're at part four there. And as a sort of a backdrop to all this, remember what Paul has said in 1 Timothy 3, verse 14. I'm writing these things to you so that in case I'm absent, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the pillar and buttress of the truth. We carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God wants the church to behave like that in the way we care for one another. In the way we care for widows, in the way we speak to older and younger men and women, in the way we treat pastors, elders, and deacons, the way we treat masters and the way masters treat servants. We want the gospel of Jesus Christ to be on display. That's what makes all this such serious business. We're the pillar and foundation of the truth in this world, church of the living God. And we want the church to see Christ living within us as an organization, an institution of order and peace and love. And so that's what this caring for the shepherds is all about here. We want to see three things. The Holy Spirit teaches us about honoring elders, deserved honor, and then rebuking elders, careful rebuke, and then thirdly, about selecting elders. Fair rebuke, careful selection of elders. So honoring them, rebuking them, and selecting them. First then, the Holy Spirit teaches here us, teaches us here about honoring elders. Look again with me at verses 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. The laborer deserves his wages. First he speaks of elders. 
Notice here that Christ gives two kinds of elders to his church, those who rule and especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Ruling elders and teaching or preaching elders, what we call ministers, two distinct offices, tasks in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his focus here is especially then on the preaching and teaching elders or the ministers, pastors in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a distinction between the ruling elders and the teaching elders or pastors in two senses, especially in their task, their labor, is especially in preaching and teaching for the teaching elders, but also in time that it was common for the teaching elders, the preaching elders, and the ministers to give themselves full time to this work and to to make their living by the preaching of the gospel. So that's part of the issue of the honor that he's talking about here. So for Timothy in Ephesus, he's serving as a preaching elder full time, But not necessarily all the ruling elders were serving full-time in their task. So he speaks here of elders of two kinds, and he speaks also of honor. The elders who rule well, especially who labor or work hard in preaching and teaching, are worthy of honor. Not only that, he says double honor, and then he goes on to say, for you shall not, the scripture says you shall not, Muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So what's this double honor? Well, he's saying that the faithful leader in the church, who is leading according to the description of godliness in 1 Timothy 3, is worthy of two kinds of honor, especially if they're laboring full-time then in preaching and teaching. What's this double honor? Well, The first part of honor is just plain respect. Respect for their work's sake, not just because they have a title or might wear a robe, but for their work's sake, because of their labor, because they rule well, because of the work they do on behalf of Christ our chief shepherd, showing honor and respect should be our default position toward our leaders for the work they do. Our default position should not be despising them, disrespecting them, or dishonoring them. If that's our default position, we've got a gospel issue. Because the Bible clearly says the way you treat a messenger of Christ, Jesus said that, that's the way you treat me. So if you don't If your default position isn't to honor the gospel leaders, that's because you've got a problem with not honoring the gospel and above all, not honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. So our default position should be to honor. And that doesn't mean they're above being questioned or evaluated. Not at all. We'll see that uh, in the coming verses. But that ought to be our default position, to honor them, to respect them. But there's a second way. There's a double honor here, especially for those who labor in preaching and teaching, and that's the honor of a wage. In fact, sometimes the word honor was used for stipend or remuneration. It means supporting them financially. 
Just like honoring widows earlier in verse 3 and following meant helping them financially, giving them the support they need, so also honoring those who rule well, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, means helping them financially. Paul says in another place, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 14. And he says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of the fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? He quotes Moses and Jesus for evidence that part of the honor should be a wage. He says, Moses said, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. You've got your oxen on the threshing floor, and they're trampling on the grain to separate the husk from the kernel. Don't muzzle them, but let them take a nibble now and then so that they can be replenished for their task. And that agrees, says Paul, with what Jesus said in the book of Luke. The laborer deserves his wages, right? So if the people you preach to love the gospel, they will take care of you. That's what Jesus said when they went, the disciples, he sent them out two by two. And he says, don't take food, don't take money. Let the people you preach to take care of you. If they honor the gospel, that's what they do because they love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's Paul's call here for a double honor. The Lord Jesus calls us to honor him and honor the gospel by honoring those leaders who lead and teach you in the way of the gospel, first with respect, and especially if they make their living by the gospel, also with a wage. Why is that important? Well, again, the issue is how much is Jesus worth to you? He died, or he lived a perfect life for you to fill in all your imperfections. He died a perfect death to you, for you to pay for all your sins so that you might be forgiven all your sins and you might be credited with the gift of perfect righteousness. And he rose again to share these gifts with you. Jesus is so valuable, so worthy, and so important that when he sets, sends his representatives to work among you, for his sake, they should be honored. That's part of behaving well in the household of God so that the world may see that the leaders of the people and the people have a good relationship and they love one another. Right? We're free to spar we're free to evaluate, we're free to push back, but we love one another. That's the picture and the reality that we want to present to one another and we want to present to the world because we're the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. It's very important. Secondly, the Holy Spirit teaches us about a fair rebuke of elders. No one's above the law in the church just like the rest of God's people. There are times when an elder, whether a ruling elder or a teaching elder, may need a rebuke or discipline for sin. And so even as we honor our church leaders, there may be a time when you have to bring an accusation or a charge 
against a minister or an elder. I suppose that's true for a deacon as well, but the elders are in focus here. But, says Paul, be careful how you do this in the church. Be careful for at least two reasons. If an attitude of open season on office bears enters the church, they're just to be crushed whenever you can. That church will not stand. You see that. That church will not survive. Many churches have been decimated by a judgmental spirit toward their church leaders. Satan makes spiritual leaders his special target. Why would we imitate him? That's satanic. Second, there's a tendency in man to believe an evil report about a leader without proper evidence, without checking it out. So, to protect the church, the Spirit lays down some special rules for the discipline of an office bearer. Let's look at verses 19 through 21. Read that along with me. 19 through 21. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Three rules here. The first one is caution. Don't take up a matter against an elder based on just one accusation or charge. Don't even investigate a matter unless there are two or three witnesses. Don't cast doubt on a leader's character unless there's sufficient warrant to do so because that quickly undermines the whole institution. Kent Hughes writes, Never listen to gossip about leaders or even a serious accusation if it comes from only one person. All charges must be substantiated by two or three responsible people if it is to be considered. The concept of basic fairness is not always appreciated in our times, but it's an important one. So the rule of caution. Second is the rule of courage. Though we must be cautious about hearing a charge, if the charge is substantiated, we must have the courage to rebuke from both sides. Courage from the congregation to come forward. It's not an easy thing to do for most people. And then the courage of the leadership to discipline one of your own on the leadership team takes courage. As for those, verse 20, who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Those who persist in sin. It means there's a process here. That if it's a private sin, you first try to take care of that privately with that office bearer, whether that's a member with an office bearer or in the leadership team. But if he's a repeat offender, or if it's a, of a public nature that must be shared, it must be shared in the presence of all so that the rest of the leaders may fear, and really the rest of the congregation may fear. That we may tremble at the weight of responsibility that Christ has put on our shoulders to be his representatives. We have to represent him well. And if we don't, that must be rebuked. But that's an issue of love because Christ is being held up. His person and his work is being honored when we make a deal of sin. 
and not just sweep it under the carpet or under the pew. And so that's our call. First, caution. And then, courage. And then the third thing is fairness. Verse 21, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Oh, you hear something. I know that's got to be right. You immediately, you instinctively know that that's right. You don't give the person the benefit of the doubt. Without prejudging or on the other side, do nothing from partiality. He's my friend. He's prominent. It won't go well if we confront him. And partiality then would mean that, well, then we ignore the sin because we want to protect a person. So do nothing from prejudging and do nothing from partiality. But let there be fairness, let there be justice, let there be truth. Because, as he says, we stand in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of elect angels. That's the court that we all face. That's the court that we want to reflect in our church courts, in our church life. God, the judge, Christ Jesus, whom he's appointed to make judgment, and the angels whom he sends to deliver those judgments. For his sake, and for the sake of the sinner, if we take care of sin ahead of time, that matter is cleared up. And we can face the judgment without fear in Christ. But if that matter is not clear up, that sin could grow and that person could be discovered to be an unbeliever. And woe to any one of us who faces the judgment seat of Christ as those who are outside of Jesus. It will truly be misery for us and hell. And so that's why these matters are very important and ought to be dealt with. We deal with sin now in order to hold people account now that they may repent before the final judgment when it's too late to repent and be saved. The early church father living in the 300s, John Chrysostom wrote this, the discipline of church leaders is a weighty matter. On the one hand, it's wrong to condemn people hastily and rashly, That undermines the whole structure of the church. But it's also wrong and dangerous not to rebuke sinners, for that emboldens people to sin. For when sinners go unpunished, many commit crimes. So when they are punished, many fear and are made better. Well, let's look at one more thing the Holy Spirit teaches about the careful selection of elders. Really, this whole matter brings us to the issue of being careful about whom we select to be our leaders in the church. Look at 22 through 25 with me. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, 
are visible, easily seen, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. First then, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Don't be hasty to ordain someone as a teaching or ruling elder or as a deacon, or else the wrong men become leaders. And that's what Timothy was dealing with in Ephesus. Remember that Hymenaeus and Alexander had been had to be handed over to Satan so that they might be taught not to blaspheme. Chapter 1, verse 20. That's what was going on there. What happens then when you lay your hands on them? You take part in their sins. That's what Paul's saying. You invite scandal in the church. So he says, keep your hands clean by not laying them on a man who is not suitable for office. Keep yourself pure. Hasty ordinations are not healthy for the church of Christ. And that's why in chapter 3 it speaks of men being tested first. Men being above reproach. And then he adds, secondly, a sideline comment, verse 23, keep yourself pure, and then in brackets, I believe the brackets are proper here, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Keep yourself pure. Then he says, oh, by the way, not the kind of purity that the legalist ascetics we're requiring of people. Remember chapter 4 at the beginning, forbidding people to marry, requiring them to abstain from certain foods. Some of them would say, no wine at all. Not that kind of purity. A little wine you could use for your stomach issues and for your frequent ailments, Timothy. The water wasn't treated. It wasn't always healthy to drink. All right, you need something that's a little healthier and something that will be medicine for you. So a little wine, just a little note for all God's people and especially for church leaders. Chapter 3 spoke about a, an elder and a deacon's relationship to wine, not lingering over it, not addicted to much wine. So on the one hand, there's not a required abstinence. You should never drink wine. That's legalism. On the other hand, there are those who who serve in office who brag about the liberty to drink. And they love to talk about their wines and whiskeys and beers. Eh. You know, a little wine for your frequent ailments. Don't make much of that. And so that's important for God's people. And especially for a leader because beer is a brawler. Wine brings shame. It does a lot of damage in the body of Christ, in people's testimony, in their families, in their work. So you must be careful with that. And now he goes back to the selection of elders, verses 24 and 25. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. Watch out. Timothy, don't be hasty in laying on of hands. 
There are some whose sins are obvious, and it's clear that they should not be ordained as office bearers in the church. But you know, there are some whose sins are more hidden. You say, he's a pretty decent fellow. But they'll come to light later. They'll come to light later. So don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, but make sure you know someone well before proceeding. I think that's the rule here. The detection of sin and faulty character is easy with some people, but in others it's a very subtle task, writes one author. We must keep our eyes wide open. We must be careful. But you know, the same is also true of good works. Verse 25, so also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. For some, good works and character are very obvious, and it's easy to see that they should be ordained. But you know what? Others live more quietly in the background and it's easy to miss them, to bypass them. Watch closely and you'll see beautiful things in the most humble lives. So that also means being careful that you don't miss the men who should serve just because they're not in the spotlight. Be careful on both sides. Well, these last two verses really raise an important point of self-examination for all leaders and for all God's people. Will your sins or who you are, what lives in you, will catch up with you one day? Your sins, which you're currently keeping hidden, will catch up with you one day. But also, your good deeds, which you do behind the scenes, will come to light and people will discover you're much more godly than they ever thought. How is it with you? Am I, as Paul said to Timothy in 4 verse 6, train yourself, nurture yourself and the words of faith and the sound teaching, the good teaching. Because if you feed on the word of God, that's going to develop a culture of holiness within you. That will make evident that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You trust in him. You're one of his. He lives in you by the Holy Spirit's power. And it'll come to light Maybe earlier, maybe later. But, but if you aren't living in communion with Jesus Christ and just looking good on the outside, there's a sin culture living within you and growing. It might not be conspicuous yet, but it eventually, it'll come to light. And ultimately, on the day of judgment, It all comes back to the holy gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That God's leaders and all God's people fix their hearts and minds. They set their hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men and especially those who believe. 4 verse 10. Where's your heart? Where's your life? Is it in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that where you're rooted? 
Let us trust in him. Let us live in him. And let that gospel shine in the way we live together in the body of Christ so that it may be evident in the way we treat everyone, including our leaders, that we're not an institution that belongs to the world. We don't function like worldly institutions and businesses and corporations. We are the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. God's intention, writes one person, is not for shepherds to exploit the sheep or for sheep to abuse the shepherds. God's intention is for pastors to lay their lives down for the flock, living among them and loving them with the love of Christ. And in response, the congregation, the sheep, love and follow their shepherds, giving to them generously and willingly as the word of God is faithfully taught. And in this way, the gospel flourishes and the Lord Jesus Christ is honored. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you that in the church of Jesus Christ that you have instituted, you care about the details. For we know that the truth of the gospel lives and shines in the details. So help us to read a chapter like 1 Timothy 5 and recommit ourselves to living well, lovingly, peacefully, faithfully, and godly lives in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for showing us that good way. We pray that you will bless our leaders in the tasks they're called to do in the church of Jesus Christ. Give us strength to be faithful and to resist the temptations of the evil one, to flee them and resist the devil. But give us each your grace to be faithful in our callings. All for Christ's sake, in whose name we pray. Amen. Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on. 540 and let's sing all the stanzas, 540.
closing song is 117B, 117B. Go your ways, congregation, the blessing of the Lord, and let us return this afternoon to worship him. He is worthy. Receive his parting blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God with the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.